Attention SLPs and OTs with existing private practices. Are you ready to level up your private practice and your life and make this your breakthrough year? If so, join us for Make More in 2024, a free training offered on Thursday, March 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern to discover how to shift from clinician to CEO. During the training, we'll talk about the importance of maximizing your income, adding revenue streams, setting up systems, and more so that you can ultimately work smarter and build a successful, sustainable, and sellable business. To sign up, just visit growyourprivatepractice.com backslash training. Don't miss the chance to learn how to effectively navigate the growth phase of the private practice journey. See you on the training. Jordan Scholl is an adult-focused speech-language pathologist in Toronto, Canada. He decided to start his private practice after feeling that he wasn't able to be the clinician that he wanted to be or provide the care that his patients needed due to pressures from his employer. Starting a private practice allowed him to show up as his authentic self and allow space for his clients to show up authentically as well. In this episode, he shares what having a private practice has allowed him to do, both professionally and personally, how he decided to name his private practice and why he's thinking about a rebrand, information about where the majority of his referrals come from, and also a great tip about marketing on your website and more. If you feel like you're holding back or being held back in your current position, private practice may be the answer. And this episode with Jordan will help inspire you to create an environment where you and your clients can thrive. So stay tuned. I'm Jenna Castro-Casbon, speech-language pathologist, business coach, and creator of the Start Your Private Practice system. And I'm on a mission to turn stuck SLPs into successful private practitioners. If you're tired of dealing with high productivity requirements, high caseload sizes, and low pay, it's time to take control of your professional, personal, and financial life and finally get the freedom, flexibility, and financial abundance that you deserve by working with private clients in your own practice. Join me here each week as I share tips, best practices, and inspirational interviews on the Private Practice Success Stories podcast. If you're a private practitioner or one in the making, you're in the right place, so let's get started. So before we dive in, can you please share your name, your location, and the name of your private practice? Yes, my name is Jordan Scholl. My pronouns are he, him. I practice in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and my practice name is Toronto Adult Speech Clinic. So I am so excited to be doing this interview. You know, I know you on Instagram, which real quick, tell everyone where to follow you on Instagram. Yes, Jordan Scholl SLP on Instagram. So I see you a lot on Instagram and I reached out and I was like, you know what? You're doing really cool things. I would love to have you on the podcast. So before we get into the really cool things that you're doing now, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your early career as an SLP? And also, when did you start thinking about private practice? I think I'm still sort of early in my career. I think it's been like six years or so. So I'm still sort of in uh, a new SLP in the world, I still feel. But I think right away, I knew going into speech pathology that I wanted to do a private practice trajectory. I did undergrad in biomed, 
did my master's in like anatomy and physiology. I was really on sort of a med school track. And I still remember the moment where I was sitting in my med school interview and they asked me, if you didn't get this specific dream of medicine, what would you do? Like, what other specialty would you do? And I just went, nothing. And I went, oh, so I probably don't want to be in medicine. I probably want to be working. And in that time, I wanted to be like a doctor for singers, you know, <laughs> like I wanted to be an ENT who specializes specifically in singers or professional voice users. So then I, you know, took a beat, <laughs> took a year off and did some research on my own and got connected through an audiologist actually into the speech pathology field. And so I had never even heard of it before. Some people grow up and they're like, I always wanted to be a speech pathologist. I didn't even know what a speech pathologist was. <laughs> um, and now I'm our biggest fan. <laughs> I love our field so much. And so since then, I was like, I know that regardless of what I do, I need to forge my own path because that's always been my journey. How it looked, you know, changed from what I was expecting. But I think ultimately, like, yeah, I'm always like that person who's set my goals, achieve and do it on my terms. So, well, I absolutely love that. Right. It's so interesting. I feel like in grad school, we're really taught like you can either do like schools or hospitals. Right. There's like this thing. It's like, you know, are you kids or adults? And that basically means schools or hospitals. Right. But we know that there's, you know, lots of other types of people who need services, lots of other ways that you can work with people, right, outside of those two models. So tell our listeners, you know, how did you really make that decision to like really pursue private practice? I know it was something that you had wanted to do, but like, what did it actually look like to transition from your job to private practice? So I think where I live in Toronto, there is... Uh, U of T, which is where I went, actually University of Toronto. So I went there for my speech pathology training. And so we have a school in our city. So we get a lot of SLPs in Toronto. So when I graduated, I was just looking for any job, whoever will hire me. Um, and I happened to first get hired at a private practice. And so that was my first foray into it. I mean, a month later, I was also hired at a rehab hospital. So I was doing both. And then like a few months later, I was working in research back at U of T and through like a rehab institute. So I was doing research in our field as well. I was just doing everything. One of those ambitious new grads because I was like, you can't get enough experience. Like if I want to open up my own practice eventually, if I want to do something where I can feel I'm sort of leading the charge in some way in my field, then I have to get experience. I have to get exposure from the people who inspire me, but also from different areas so I can know where are the gaps, where are the places where people are going to need me. That's sort of how I started that way. And then the private practice that I was at was sort of my intro to private practice. Then it was my first job and it was my intro to what does private practice look like? And it was a different practice. So it worked with adults only like mine does. And really, that was sort of new to me. I hadn't ever heard of that before. So yeah. Well, it's so interesting. You know, I think that we all have this idea in our heads of what private practice looks like. Right. And, you know, when I was in grad school, I really only could think of, you know, like a brick and mortar with a waiting room and, and an aquarium and magazines and, you know, all the kind of toys in the corner. Right. Like that kind of really stereotypical view. But then I wanted to work with adults 
And I was like, well, wait a minute, how could I do private practice if like my image of what private practice looks like only had pediatrics in mind, right? So how did that kind of evolve? Like that was cool that you got to work in a private practice that that served adults, right? But I'm sure mm-hmm. that even working for someone else's private practice, you were like, oh, I want to do a couple things differently than is happening here, right? Yeah, I, I also just want to make a comment about that because I think what you were saying about what you expect of a private practice. I've literally had clients come to me and they were like, I searched everywhere and I was just expecting to come into this clinic and see like an older white lady sit across from me and get me to do tongue exercises or something like you've got a mirror, right? Like with a mirror, like this is people's perception. And so working at this private practice, it definitely showed me that, that gap that exists where it's not just what we think private practice is. It's also what the public thinks private practice is. And that's all that matters, right? Like what we think private practice is doesn't really matter as SLPs. What the public thinks we do, that's what matters. And that's, I think, what sort of drove me to really push into my own practice because I really wanted to create advocacy and create transparency about what kind of work I do, why I do what I do, And that was something that wasn't necessarily emphasized at this other practice because they were the owner really felt like they had almost like a monopoly on the adult population in Toronto that were seeking speech therapy services. So they kept everything really hush hush. They were really big on marketing. They were really big on advertising or promo or even doing anything like blog posts or things like that because they sort of coveted their approach to speech therapy. And I was like, I want to blow the doors open because if I can do that, it's going to create so many more opportunities for people like me who want to open their private practice. And then it's also going to create more opportunities for people out there looking for people like me who do my work to get our services. It's going to help everyone. It's going to help our entire field. And so I was like, I got to do this. And so I think that was definitely a major driving factor for me. And then, of course, I think there were things about the practice that were really rooted in other fields like psychotherapy and things like that. And uh, in some cases, like I don't know a lot about psychotherapy, so I can't really speak to, you know, the efficacy of certain techniques. But as a speech pathologist, things like, you know, keep a blank slate, don't react. You know, I was told you should dress a little differently, mm. right? You should dress like more plain you should talk a little more neutral. You should talk a little softer. You should make sure that you're a mirror for your client. And all these things basically were telling me to be less queer, less myself, less what I considered at the time and still do to this day, my superpower as an SLP, which is like, I am authentic. I don't enter a room being anyone but who I am. And that is what creates a safe space for my clients. And I think that that is really what pushed me over the edge to be like, I'm going to do something. Like, I got to create a practice where people can trust. People know what they're coming into. They can trust that the people are, they, they can see all the people who work there. They can read about them. They can read the CVs. They can read what we've written about our perspectives on therapy and how we approach therapy. Like, they can get to know us before they have to sit in front of us. So 
in some way we can remove those veils and we can make sure that we're always giving an authentic experience. That is so refreshing, Jordan, too, because I totally agree. Like, I think that that that's what people want, right? Like people want to, you know, feel seen and heard, but also to be with authentic people and just be in a kind of space where everyone's able to be however they are, whoever they are, right? So you you created the practice that you wish that you had an opportunity to work in, but it's yours. And how cool is that, right? So tell our listeners, you know, what population or populations do you serve through your private practice? Primarily, I, as I said, I only see adults and primarily I work with voice. So in areas of voice, I do a lot of professional voice because I'm a professional singer. I do. I work a lot with fit pros because I'm also a fit pro. I'm a spin instructor. And then I also work in gender affirming communication training. So I do a lot of work with trans and non-binary folks and just really helping them align with their gender identity. And that for me actually is what pushed me into the field in the first place. So that was always something I knew I wanted to do. And I think I always knew that wasn't really accessible in a non-private practice environment, especially not in a way that I could control and a way that I could listen to my clients and be like, what do you need? And I could give it to them because like, if you need something, guess what? I'm the boss. I'll make it happen for you. You want to feel safe. You want to feel seen. You want to feel heard. You want to have this schedule of appointments. Let's do it, right? Like you want to work on a sliding scale because you can't afford it because you're saving up for your top surgery. Like, let's go. How can I help you? Like that's that flexibility is so important. Actually, in all the populations that I mentioned, money is usually and finances are usually a, a big problem. And so I grew up not having like any money. So I just I'm so sensitive to that and I'm so sensitive to just trying to be accommodating and adapt to what people need. So yeah. that's why I serve the populations I do and the populations I serve. <laughs> well, and I think that that's also so important, like to go back to our earlier part of the discussion where it's like, you know, schools or hospitals. Right. And so like you can't work with those populations in the way that they need help in those rigid uh, traditional settings, right? So like, I love that you paved the way not only for yourself, but also for the people that you serve, right? So tell our listeners, like, what does your practice like look like in terms of, you know, where you're working, where you're seeing clients and that kind of thing? Mm -hmm. So I started in like a brick and mortar practice and that was always my dream. I wanted to have like a clinic office. And actually, I really wanted to have a space with multiple offices because another thing I love about working as an SLP is collaborating and like a debriefing and chatting. Like that was my favorite part of working in a hospital setting was I had a bunch of SLPs who some of them were my mentors or they were friends. And I just like pop down on my lunch break and be like, hey, I want to pick your brain about something. Can we just chat about this? And like, I love that. Or like between sessions, just peeking your head in the door, be like, how'd your session go? Awesome. Mine too. Anyway, so that was my dream. And I definitely, you know, I got my loan from the bank. I like did all the things I needed to do to like get my brick and mortar. Um, But now then the pandemic hit and now I went virtual. I was already doing some virtual, so it wasn't a huge pivot for me, but I wasn't really advertising that. So my business model as, you know, I am transparent and I try and like communicate what I'm doing with my clients. I feel like my business model had to shift my messaging. 
had to shift, but also I needed to get education on like how to do this in the right way. A lot of thinking about how am I going to hold space for my clients, which is a huge part of what I do. Like I never sat at my desk when I work with my clients, like ever. I would sit as they enter and then I would stand and I would greet them. And then we do all our sessions standing. Like we just like, like I'm standing right now. <laughs> like I, I just think it's so much more dynamic and you can lean in or you can back away. And it's a very physical visual signal that creates like a safety and a trust in clients. So I also wanted to remove the medicalness. So that's what it sort of looked like. I also do manual therapy for my voice clients. So um, I'm trained in manual therapy um, for like the head and neck region primarily. Uh, and so I've still occasionally now started seeing clients um, when we were allowed to, but mostly we're all virtual. And I think it's going to stay that way heavily um, for the next year or two. But eventually I do think I want to get back into a space and and really see see my clients, you know, and meet them and and have them experience like that shared energy. That's yeah. very different. Thing. And it's important in the work that I do, at least. Yeah, totally. No, I agree with that. Where would you say that you get most of your referrals from? Would you say, you know, online, word of mouth, website? It started very much because of the website. And it's funny because I basically got this new apartment. I was having some clashes at the private practice I was working at. And I am like, I need to quit. I need to like take control here. I need to quit. And then I couldn't find another job. So I needed to get this practice whipped up. So I basically had to create a website very, very quickly. Um, I was actually on a singing job, a singing gig that was taking me to like Quebec City and LA. And I was in Quebec City in between rehearsals, sitting on the bed with my best friend. We were doing the gig together. And I was like typing my website. And I'm like, how's this? <laughs> I'm like, I never made a website before. I was so like flustered. But I was really happy with what I created. And obviously, it's a living document, you know, so it, it evolves and and it changes and it has. And my business is going to be evolving in the next year or two as well. But that's where I get most of my referrals, really. And then now, I mean, I also I also get referrals from other professionals now who have oh, yeah. known my work. And then people, friends, like friends of friends of client, past clients or current clients are just like, hey, you should try this. Like, you know, you've been talking a lot about the fact that, you know, you're losing your voice every time you go into work or like they're a bartender or they're, you know, a fitness instructor. And they're like, hey, Jordan does that. So some word of mouth as well. But I think a lot of it has to do with the website. Website is huge. And how you build that website and and the messaging on it, I think, makes a huge difference. I get a lot of my clients just from the who are we page of my website that is like, I wanted a long blurb. I wanted to post the CVs. I wanted to have approachable photos. I wanted to have things that people could read about and feel like they sort of knew a little bit about us. And we always get comments like that from our website when people call. They're like, yeah, I read your bios and like, this is the person I want to work with. So I think that's sort of where most of it comes from. Well, and I love that too. And as a consumer, right, I love to go to a website and read like, just like you said, like the about us page. And then you learn, like I was looking at a um a website for a independent bookstore in another state, right? And uh, that someone told me about. And I looked at their about me page and it had everyone who worked in their bookstore and all the stuff about them. And I was like, I've never spent this much time on an independent bookstore that I'll probably never go to. 
looking at their staff page, right? But it made a difference, like in a way, right? To like feel like you knew the people who were there and what they were about and what their values were. It's so much better than just a regular website that just, you know, gives the hours and, oh, we work with these people and we take these insurances or whatever. But like today's consumer really wants to align themselves with professionals and with companies that they share something in common with. And so if you can highlight that on your website, that's going to not only make people come to your website, but actually make that call or that email to contact you and say like, hey, I would love to do a a consultation or whatever, an evaluation, whatever you do for your first point of contact, because they already Mm. feel comfortable before they've even met you. And that makes the big difference. And beyond that, it's like you're advocating for the profession and for the work we do through this natural organic like someone's just reading about they're they're trying to figure out about me right they're learning about me but they're also learning about speech pathology because they're like oh you work with all these populations and and you believe in you know this specific thing that i didn't even know would be related to speech pathology that's so cool like it's a, it's a way of advocating for all of us, you know, like for what we do and creating those safe spaces for clients. Totally, totally. So I absolutely love that. So what would you say are your goals for the next, you know, six months to a year for your practice? I know you mentioned maybe wanting to get, you know, clinic space again, but what are some other things that you're kind of thinking about in the next year? Yeah, I think it definitely is more of a long-term goal because yep. uh, it's not a priority for me right now. My priority is like I said, I had to start my practice sort of very quickly. Yep. And so I just thought, like, what's going to be the name of a practice that's going to get the most Google hits? <laughs> you know, like, what's going to be organically get, sending people to my website? So, you know, I chose Toronto Adult Speech Clinic because I'm like, could I be more clear? That's what people are searching, right? So, um, but there's a part of it that's always felt dis like distanced from me like it feels like a thing that I did rather than a piece of me and you like I said you know my practice for me is about being authentic and it's about really really creating these safe spaces and so I am planning a rebrand with that in mind thinking how can I show who I am through my practice like how can I demonstrate authenticity How can I demonstrate safety and inclusivity? And what does that look like? Let's work with someone who understands website design and understands, uh, you know, UX, (laughs) user experience or whatever it is. I don't even know all the terms. That's why I'm leaving it to the professionals this time around and saying, help me. This is what I want people to take away from my website. Please help me get there. Right? Like, Here's who I am. Meet me. Understand how passionate I am about what I do and what I believe in. And let's create a business and a website that really amplifies that, like just amplifies it into the world. Uh, So that's my goal. That's the main goal. I think the other goal is to not so much private practice related, but I may not. My private practice has I have three associates now working for me and they're all very, very invested in this population. And I think one of the things we want to try and figure out is how can we do more outreach? Like, how can we support or fill more gaps in a way that is still going to, 
you know, make money because we're still a business. Like we shouldn't shy away from the fact that like we need to make money. How can we still make money, but also find ways to support our community? Like people who are discharged from rehab that I used to be like, oh my gosh, they're not ready to go home. They can't even say their name, but they can walk out the door. So you're discharging them. This is scary for me. They can't have a conversation about their meds. What are they going to do if they have to call 911? Like, I'm worried for this person, but they don't get services in the community, maybe. And then what happens? They fall through the cracks, right? And that, like, breaks my heart. And I'm like, if there's a way, as a private practice owner, I've got a lot of flexibility, a lot of, like, movable room, because I'm not bound by bureaucracy, like you said. Yeah. I feel like if there's a way that I can try and fill that gap, I really want to. We want to do education. We want to do... I already teach at a couple universities. I really focus on like anatomy and applying anatomy to clinical practice. Yeah. So are there ways to build that into my practice? And like, like there's just, I've got a lot of ideas, but the first one is the rebrand. So we'll start there. <laughs> well, I love that. And as you were talking about the rebrand, I'm like, wow, Jordan, it doesn't almost matter what you name your practice. You already are going to have the the search engine optimization, right? You're already going to have the SEO for Toronto adult speech therapy, right? Like you already have that. So even if you redirect to like another site, you're still going to keep all that, right? So that was like a genius move on your part, even if you didn't know it when you were first getting started. And then I love like thinking about, you know, ways to, again, fill gaps for people, like you said, who have been discharged. Like I also used to work in hospitals and I know that awful feeling of being like, oh my gosh, like this person is not ready to be going without services. I know that you're in Canada, so I don't know if maybe things work differently, but like in my head, immediately I thought of like grants. Could you um, apply to get different grants or just think of more creative payer sources if right. the clients themselves aren't going to be the ones who are paying? You know what I mean? Exactly. It's like, how can we find ways to, you know, maybe connect with a charitable organization or like things like that? Because here, I think it's a little bit murky in terms of like the grants that are available for like private practices. I'm not 100% sure on that, but I think that, you know, if you found a charity that would be willing to partner with, like if we found one that would be willing to partner with us and then we said, hey, I have connections from singing, from other things that I do that are all fee for service, independent contractor stuff. So they all are like charitable organizations or, or whatnot. And so I know people who have money, who look to donate each year, maybe I can get them to donate to this organization. And this organization has a fund that then helps, you know, like there's always a way. And actually this idea started because of one of my associates, one of my associates is, and to my point of get experience in lots of places before opening up a practice, like he started working at a hospital in rehab and started seeing this happen and was like, Jordan, what can we do? What are we going to do about this? Like, we got to do something. And I was like, yeah, we do. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> so it's just so cool because you really do start to see that, like, you craft your own destiny. Like, you craft exactly what you want and you control your narrative. And, like, that is so important to me because we were talking about it earlier. But as queer people, like, we're always being told what we are. And, like, it takes a lot to step out of that and say, actually, I'm this, yeah, right? I'm actually this. And like, this is important and this matters and I matter and my work matters. I don't want to be fit into this little box anymore, right? And I think 
that's so important. That's like an important message just to get out, I think. And I know you're doing that already with your your listeners already, but I want to emphasize it again and just be like, yo, like tell your story, like get it out there and be authentic with it, right? Be authentic and, and don't be afraid to have yourself reflected in the business. Like that's so important. Well, and especially because so many of us aren't working in settings where you're able to do that, right? No, no matter, you know, what the setting is or, you know, who the person is, when you're not able to be your authentic self at work, like that is really hard. And it's hard, you know, in the beginning, maybe you're like, oh, okay, this is a little weird, but whatever. But like over time, it gets like even harder. And then like, you just have to make a decision. Like, am I going to live with this? this, you know, kind of um, pain of not being able to be my true self? Or am I going to go somewhere and create my own thing where, you know, not only can I be, you know, whoever I am, right, but also the clients who I'm able to serve are also be able to be whoever they are, right? So I think that we also owe it to our clients and to our communities to create spaces that are outside of the traditional, you know, places where people get speech therapy, right? So, and that, and everyone benefits, right? When we do it this okay. way. And I think to your point, it's like, it's our clients are benefiting, not just from the fact that, you know, we're feeling comfortable. It's like, we're actually able to be completely authentic. We don't have okay. to work within a certain confine, which makes us creative, which makes us innovative, which creative juices just bubble over. And like, I have had some of the greatest ideas in therapy from just sitting one-on-one with someone in a private practice setting. You know, those kind of big moments, like idea moments that you're like, I make a study about this that I could publish. Like, this is great. Like, I loved this experience. This client's amazing. Or a client, like a client has something that they really want to work on. And you're like, oh, I guess I that is about your communication. I guess I could work on that. Let me get back to you. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to like take everything I know. I'm going to troubleshoot through this where in other structured settings, you're maybe not allowed to really do that. And then I think, well, if you're not being authentic and that matters to you, right? Like there's some people who really treat work like work. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Like. If you're at work and it's your authentic truth to be like, I'm going to go to work, I'm going to do my job, then I'm going to go home, right? And like, that's what I do, then kudos. Like, honestly, like, great. I think that for me, everything I do has to have passion behind it, which (laughs) I think that's the big thing for me is like, if I don't feel inspired by the work I'm doing, I just, I can't do it. And then my clients would suffer. My clients would suffer if I couldn't find that passion, I couldn't find that fire, then I think it would affect my work, the quality of my work. So, and that's not a sacrifice that any of us really should be willing to make, right? Right. That's right. And if it is, listeners, if it's a sacrifice that you are making right now, then think about whether you want to stay in that environment or if you want to, you know, sometimes I call private practice like a choose your own adventure, right? Like, do you want to choose your own adventure? And and build something that works for you, that works for the clients that you want to serve, not just in the short term, but the long term, right? Like, you know, Jordan, you mentioned you've only been in this profession for six years, right? You've got a long time in this profession. And one of the things that I'm seeing so much of, especially on Instagram and also in my programs, is just like early career burnout. Like we have some amazing clinicians who are just getting into this field, especially the more creative ones. 
And they are like completely stifled, right? There was a recent guest on this podcast. Her name is Corinne Zamus. She was, you know, just a couple years into the profession feeling completely stuck and having, you know, panic attacks and all these kind of other things. And then she went into private practice and now she's thriving and is happier than ever because she's able to, you know, to treat clients the way that they deserve to be treated and that she wants to be able to treat them. But this is a big problem, I feel like, in our profession is just people are getting burned out so early. And I think private practice can be, you know, it's not for everyone, but for people who want to pursue this path, it can really help save you in terms of staying in this profession. Yeah, and it is a balance. Like you said, it's not right for everyone because, you know, not everyone wants to deal with the unknowns and the danger. (laughs) Of like, just like, oh, like, I wonder if like, I'm going to get clients this month, you know, like, that's not for everyone, you know, Um, and also like just the administrative stuff that goes along with it. I mean, you can always hire someone down the line too to help with that. But, you know, not everyone wants that. A lot of people like and, and feel most safe and comfortable in, you know, the more structured environments. And it's sort of like, cost benefit analysis then right it's like if you really like this is it going to cost you more or are you going to earn more not just financially but like earn more like in your soul to move over to private practice and run the show and like really create the kind of it's a practice not just in like clinic but a practice like your own practice with clients like you want to create that practice that's going to really feed you and support you and uplift you. And like, I work 12 hour days sometimes when I started out, just like seeing any clients I could, I'd be at clinic typing reports and doing stuff. And then I leave and I go, aren't I lucky? You know, instead of like, that sucked, right? Go to sleep and wake up the next day. It's like, no, like, aren't I lucky? How privileged, how blessed am I that I get to go to work and do something that I love, like, I absolutely love it. And like, that's a gift that's from like circumstance, but also from just like going after it and and trusting myself to do the damn thing, you know? Totally. Well, you are doing the damn thing and you're doing a fantastic (laughs) job. Thank you so much for sharing your story and, you know, sharing just about why you decided to pursue private practice and again, what your practice looks like. For any listeners who want to connect with you, can you please share again, you know, where people can find you online? Yeah, you can find me on the website, torontoadultspeechclinic.com. And you can also find me on LinkedIn or Instagram, Jordan Scholl. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for being here, Jordan. Thank you. Okay, don't you just love Jordan? He is truly a breath of fresh air. He felt stifled at work and felt like his patients were being stifled too. But rather than be part of a system that wasn't working, he decided to do something about it and create his own system, his own private practice. If you would like to learn more about our programs and how we support SLPs and OTs who want to help start and grow their private practices, please visit independentclinician.com. As always, thank you for listening and please tune in next week for another episode of the Private Practice Success Stories podcast. Till then.
While this episode might be over, but we don't have to say goodbye. Head on over to independentclinician.com for resources that will help you at each stage of your private practice journey. If you're on Instagram, let's connect. Follow me and send me a DM. I'm at independent clinician. And if you're on Facebook, make sure that you join the SLP and OT Private Practice Beginners Facebook group. All right, off to help more regular SLPs and OTs become successful private practitioners. Let me know if I can help you too.